Hello, my name is Emma Griffiths of Fife Historic Buildings Trust. Welcome to the Inverkeithing Heritage Regeneration Podcast. There's an archaeological slant to our podcast discussion today. You could be forgiven for thinking that material culture was about fashions and textiles, but Dr. Gavin McGregor of Northlight Heritage will, I'm sure, set us straight on the terms. Gavin is the professional lead on the Inverkeithing Borough Survey, uh, which in, in itself is a key part of the Inverkeithing Heritage Regeneration Project. Welcome, Gavin. Now, what do we mean by the term material culture? Thanks, Emma. Uh, well, material culture, perhaps most simply, can be considered the objects and buildings which people make, use, live with and dispose of. So, in a one sense, material culture is the physical, tangible components of the world people create and make. But as objects and buildings often last across generations, they're also powerful in other ways too. So, material culture is also about social relations between people through time. So... Material culture is an incredibly wide term and it's really things that have been influenced by humans, whether they're objects or buildings or, yeah, I guess it wouldn't be landscapes. Or could you could you describe a landscape? To, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with the term design landscape from the kind of architecture and heritage perspective. I think that's a great example of uh, how design and intentional construction of things um, affect the way we behave and understand things so a design garden has got a very sort of distinct aesthetic and was used by particular people in particular ways and often wasn't used by other people because of social relations that restricted access or use or people had different roles for example the gardeners in in that context so um, it potentially relates to another phrase that you might hear, historic environment, and they all really blur into each other in different ways. It's all about how people make their way in the world in both physical and symbolic ways. So I suppose that's the other dimension of what we're discussing is um, the material has a, a kind of an intangible dimension as well, which is really important culturally. I'm really thinking about estate walls because they're so distinctive, they're so of a period, they're so of a style. Um, they're saying we've got enough money to wall our land, but they're also saying this is our land and you're on the outside of it. Yeah, absolutely. But then you look at the contrast of other forms of kind of construction. So I was lucky enough to be helping a very talented dry stone wall there a few weeks ago um, and uh, the different constructional techniques that stand for potentially centuries, you know, um, have a, a real technical competency as well. So we have things that are functional, uh, but also at times stylistic that can communicate which part of the, the country you might be in. So dry stone walls have slightly different stylistic and constructional techniques in different parts of uh, upland, uh, you know, Britain. I love a dry stone wall and I really like how they vary because the dry stone that is available in different places has different characteristics. However, coming back to our subject of material culture i i had a question in my head so about the distinction which you could draw between a museum artifact um and i i was thinking about the bell which i believe dates from the mid 1600s how would how would a museum artifact differ from a material 
cultural artefact? Well, it's a really interesting question, Amber, because it reveals something about the status of how we treat objects differently. So the whole process of accessioning an object and putting it into a museum changes its domain, changes its context, changes your understanding of it then. So that's one dimension of this. Uh, when you take an object out of its general circulation, its day-to-day -day use and understanding, and that could be multiple, and put it in a place or a social context that people behave differently in, so museum spaces, galleries, shops, um, these are all, we know how to behave in different spaces. Uh, but the bell itself is a really interesting example because it was produced in 1667. We have a dedication on it by two individuals who paid for it to be gifted to the townhouse. And ironically, not only is the bell still here, but our memory of those two individuals whose names are still inscribed on it to this very day. So context does make us treat objects in different ways. I had a question, why does material culture matter? It's a provocative question. Well, we are in part formed by our relations with material culture, you know, how we behave and how we interact in a social context is often using objects or architectural spaces. And we're taught as we grow up what is appropriate behaviour or what are the limits of how we should use particular objects or spaces. So we could say it, it almost helps constitute our social relations in different ways. And you touched on uh, the idea of fashion uh, at the start of this. Uh, we actually wear and portray a lot of our identity by our ability to access forms of material culture how we use it and how we ultimately might dispose of it tells us a lot as well indeed and we are we I, I guess we must currently be in peak disposable society some of our listeners might have heard of the you know the term anthropocene that you know there has been so much human impact on uh, the environment with materials that we've produced over centuries and uh, that build up um, is, 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 is critical and now in forming in geological kind of layers but also many listeners and Inverkeithing is on the, the you know the, the, the shores of the Firth of Forth the plastics that are in, entering the marine environment uh, are, are things I'm sure people will be aware of um, and, and how we kind of dispose of things is really really important at these times. Absolutely so we can learn a huge amount of things from material culture. We've, we've discussed the, um, the bell in the Civic Centre, but can you think of another example of, of an item of material culture that, that relates to Inverkeething that, that has taught us something or, or something that you've discovered in, in the course of the Inverkeething Heritage Regeneration Project? I've been thinking about this, and I think that is a really interesting question. But at this stage, we can think about objects like the bell you've mentioned. Or there's the medieval pottery from the previous excavations of a Bekeithing Friary. Or we've talked about the townhouse and there's a series of wonderful historical documents there that uh, some of our volunteers are already studying, producing some really interesting insights about how materials were bought and used um, to refurbish a townhouse. And 
there's been another recent example which springs to mind uh, on social media. There's been a, an interest in a 19th century brick found, which has got the Inverkeithing stamp, and there's already a lot of talk about you know the local company Fraser and Sanderson and where they were operating and when they were operating. So the things that might be important could be quite humble. One of the things I was thinking about when I was thinking about this subject is with historic buildings, category C listed building means its its particular architectural historic importance is recognised and that's why it's been listed and the listings go C, B is a building that's probably of local importance, it might be a town hall or a church, something like that. And then category A is a building that would probably have national significance. It would be one of a very few examples of something. Or indeed, it might even have international significance because of its social or historical or architectural significance. I wondered, is there any kind of similar ranking that you could apply to a that that is applied to cultural artefacts? Is there anything as, as strict? I guess it's uh, such a extensive field it would be very difficult to have one system that's actually a very good question emma and to be honest i have to uh, i'm not entirely certain of the answer uh, as to whether there is a unified system i don't think there is uh, for material culture in that way but how you assign importance or significance um more broadly um is a tension between perhaps how people assign value um, and often in the past um, value would be equated to uh, financial significance so if we think about you know the arts market um, you know the willingness to pay for uh, particular pieces and we can see crazy prices in, in in auction houses for for objects that there's only one of a kind of so where there's mass-produced objects um, that may have no craft or skill arguably um, generally the market will price them lower so I suppose in the way that you're talking about the um, system of assigning significance or importance to listed buildings there's something that happened how common are they uh, how um, how well have they been produced um, is there any really important historical associations to people or events would be things we would consider and then a similar way that can be assigned to objects too that process of thinking why something important is about a structured analysis and making the case why something matters interesting gavin are there are there any factors which determine what types of material culture is preserved by one period one time one generation to another, do do we are there trends in the kinds of things that tend to be um, protected and guarded and passed down? Well, in the context of the UK, um, there's two dimensions to how we can approach that. There is the realities of the physical remains, and some of the projects in the Keith and Heritage Regeneration are running are about the physical fabrics of building and repairing or restoring or conserving them through traditional crafts and building skills. So if things aren't maintained, um, they will deteriorate. Um, there's processes of decay and weathering and different materials will weather and decay in different ways. So organic materials um, don't survive as well in most circumstances. Um, they are subject to processes of decay 
Um, but in ex exceptional circumstances, objects that are thousands of years old, if they're buried in uh, anaerobic conditions, for example, where there's no oxygen, um, in, in, in bogs, for example, you can think of the example of uh, you know bog bodies where remains of, of, of individuals have been found that are thousands of years old and tell a remarkable, remarkable story of those times. Uh, other objects or other materials of stone clearly survive a lot better and Inverkeithing has been blessed with the huge stone quarries uh, nearby and uh, the ability to build from that local stone at times. So clearly the um, some, some materials do weather better than others but also it's the conditions in, in which they are found that that also influences how well they survive so i was thinking there are um excavations planned for invakeeving do you have any hopes and dreams for those excavations and what are the practicalities before you would do a dig how do, and how do how do the dig sites get chosen what what happens there Wow, uh, this could be a whole episode on just how we select our dig sites. But um, quite briefly, um, we tend to work from the known. So if we have uh, evidence that there was a particular uh, settlement or building or activity area, we would uh, consider what we want to learn through excavation. So we start to formulate research questions. It might be about who had lived there and what traces they had left behind. It might be about how the structures were created and uh, the different phases of rebuilding or reuse that we might discover. It might be more detailed questions. For example, if we were going to look at the remains of, I don't know, a butcher shop, um, we might be interested in social history and consumption of what people were eating in the town. Uh, it's actually quite a prolonged process of working out what you want to know and then trying to formulate the best way of learning those answers mm. but i should say in the context of this project one of the things we really want to do is um, have that conversation about where might be of interest to members of the community uh, in terms of sites uh, that might relate to stories or places um, that could be quite important to in the key thing as a borough and as a community. Um, we uh, know that there was excavations that North Light Heritage undertook previously at the Friary, so we've had a wee insight into what can be found there, and there was a really wonderful range of medieval ceramics found and some of the remains of uh, the, the building that stood there formerly. Um, so that could be one option. But uh, in the times we live in just now as well, with um, you know, some of the restrictions we face, we might have to look at some more creative approaches as well. We're certainly living in interesting times. Speaking of time, there's not a huge amount left. Um, so as a, as a last question, or as a last thought about, about material culture, have um, modern technologies, digital technologies impacted particularly on the process of revealing material culture and have these raised any issues? Yeah, well, the, the, the emergence of digital technologies has been uh, quite remarkable in terms of what we can do uh, with objects and buildings in terms of capture, um, you know, laser scanning and photogrammetric techniques where we can take multiple photographs and create digital models. We can, you know, specialists who, who, who um, practice this can produce wonderful three-dimensional, indeed arguably four-dimensional models that can change through time. 
uh, and they can provide not only important illustrative tools but analytical tools as well. Um, uh, to the extent that we, there's a range of techniques that you can go almost microscopically looking at objects for use wear or damage and look at the biography of objects and buildings about how they've changed through time. It's not always obvious, immediately obvious on the surface. So there's a series of techniques that can be used to do that as well. Um, so it, it has been quite revolutionary, the, the digital technologies that are continue to you know, push the frontiers of knowledge, but also how we can communicate and engage through that. But clearly at this time as well, um, digital technologies and access to the digital also presents barriers to potential certain groups or potential individuals who uh, may not have the confidence or um, equipment to access. So that's something we have to be really sensitive to as well. Sure. Yes. Uh, and definitely one of our goals for this project is to try and be inclusive. And um, while digital is a great solution to some of the challenges of the pandemic, it's it's not inclusive. So um, fortunately, there is um, the project has quite a long lifespan in itself, five year project. So hopefully some of our further knowledge about material culture and um, the fascinating history of Inverkeething will be revealed in, in other ways. Gavin, we usually finish these podcasts by thinking about somewhere to direct people who might be interested in learning a little bit more about the subject or the topic. Is there anywhere that you would recommend our listeners might want to go for a little bit of developing their own knowledge on this topic or on this subject? Yeah, I think a good example um, would be to go and have a look at the um, Weems Caves 4D website, which was produced by Save the Weems Ancient Cave Society. Um, and not far up the coast from Inverkeething, it has uh, examples of you know Pictish carvings in a coastal context and uh, a series of digital models and other really interesting forms of content that have been produced um, through um, SCAPE as well, uh, who uh, try and uh, promote uh, responses to coastal erosion and the impact it has on archaeological sites. So there's lots of interesting dimensions to it. But there's also an aspect, it, it has a, a lot of the different technologies I talked about um, in terms of that data capture there as well. That's excellent. Thank you very much, Gavin. I'm sure we will have enthused a lot of our listeners to... Um, go and look and think differently about the material culture they see. Thank you very much. Thanks, Emma. Thanks for listening to the Inverkeething Heritage Regeneration podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the project in Inverkeething or some of the other things we do at Fife Historic Buildings Trust, check out our website at www.fifehistoricbuildings.org.uk you can use the website to get in touch. If you have any suggestions for subjects you'd like us to cover, if you have questions for our guests, or have views on these podcasts, we'd love to hear from you. Fife Historic Buildings Trust delivers the Inverkeething Heritage Regeneration Project in partnership with Fife Council. Thanks for listening today, and thanks too to the project funders, Historic Environment Scotland and the National Lottery Heritage Fund. <laughs>